0: Welcome to the Whole Health Empowerment Project podcast. This show is for women over 40 who are trying to create balance in their life when it comes to food, body, self care, and wellness. You struggle to put yourself first, to maintain consistency when something isn't perfect, or maybe you feel like you don't have enough time or willpower to achieve the goals you desire. I'm your host. Tricia Stefankiewicz, Registered Dietitian Nutritionist. I've worked with women like you achieve their goals by focusing on the next best step, no matter how messy, and meeting you where you are right now. In this show, you'll learn practical information, actionable strategies, and mindset tweaks so that you can feel healthier, more comfortable in your body, and make choices that work for your life. Come join me in failing forward one imperfect step at a time into the journey of health, wellness, and self-care. Welcome to your new project. Hey friends, welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Tricia. On today's episode, I want to dive into a topic that I think is an emerging exciting topic, the gut microbiome. I feel like you probably all have heard something about this, but you may not be interested in it. But I think once we really start studying it and talking about it, it's going to be so exciting. I think you're going to be as excited about it as I am. We're going to talk about just kind of what it is, why it's important, why the role that it plays in terms of your gut microbiome in terms of health and disease and really different ways that you can help improve your, your um, gut microbiome. Since we're talking about prevention and doing things to help your GI tract, have you grabbed the freebie yet? Five simple things you can do today to keep yourself healthy for tomorrow. This link is going to be in the show notes, so grab it. It's another preventative thing, just to start thinking about that can keep you healthy as you, as you start to focus on the bigger picture of your life and in terms of your health and well being. Okay, now onto the episode. Before we start this episode, I want to just kind of let you know a little bit about what we're going to be talking about. So the. I am not a scientist. A lot of the research that I did on this topic was based off of scientists from, in the UK, Tim Spector, and then also in the US, Dr. Justin Sonnenberg and his wife. They've also done work out of Stanford and Dr. and Christopher Gardner as well out of Stanford. They've all done research related to this, to the gut, essentially, I left a whole bunch of information in the show notes about each of these participants. They have YouTube channels and each of them. So Tim Spector out of the UK is an epidemiology professor. He has a book called Food for Life. So if this topic interests you in terms of how to get and repopulate your GI tract and how to get foods that really help your gut microbiome, then his book Food for Life would probably be helpful for you. If you are interested in terms of like environment and just what the latest literature says, the Dr. Justin Sodenberg and his wife also have a book. I forget his wife's name because I saw a topic on him. I'm so sad to say, I think her name might be Aaron. Let me look that up because I feel like I should know her name too, since they're researchers. But essentially their book is talks a lot about like the environment in terms of gut microbiome. So I think it's really, really interesting. Yeah, she's Erica Sonnenberg. He is Justin Sonnenberg. So their book is called The Good Gut, and they're based out of Stanford. And again, theirs is more focused on the environment. Also, things that are going to be referenced in here is if you're somebody who's interested in having your gut microbiome tested, there is the American Gut Project and the British Gut Project, and basically you send them your poop and they figure out what your gut microbiome looks like. I don't know what they would send you back. I guess they would just kind of tell you what it looks like, but that I don't really know if they give you an exact, oh, this is what you do to prevent it. Because a lot of this, or what you can do to improve it specifically, because a lot of this literature, when it comes to the gut microbiome, a lot of the research is in its is in its infancy. So there's not a lot of data that they have out there, but just FYI, I think the American gut project is about a hundred bucks. All right. So when we talk about the gut microbiome, what are we talking about anyway? So in your GI tract, you have this like thriving ecosystem that lives there. It's like bacteria and fungi or fungi, and just this variety of species that's present there that's populated there, the majority of which is going to be in your colon. It's very densely populated. And they know what they're realizing is that having this, having this diversity in your gut microbiome, has contributed to an improvement in health. And your whole like GI tract from your mouth to your colon has all these different kinds of and diverse species of bacteria that live there. Each location, it seems, has a different kind of bacteria that lives there. The ones that are most being studied right now is mostly in the colon because they're able to access your colon. By pooping, they're able to kind of see if you're sending them samples of your poop, they're able to see what that looks like and what is colonized in your colon. And what is really interesting is that each gut microbiome is individualized. Every person's is different. So we talk a lot about on this, on this podcast about when we talk about nutrition, we all try to do this. We put each of us in a box, right? And we all try to do something that somebody else is doing. But what we know is that, especially when it comes to your gut microbiome, It's so unique to you that nobody's is going to be the same, nobody's. And so there's so many influences on it, including your genetic composition, environmental factors, and the foods that you eat, where you live, how much you drink, if you smoke, there's just so many different things. And so it's just so fascinating. And if you're really like interested in it, I think that Tim Spector actually did, I think he did a study like about... He studied twins for 20 years and saw like differences in their gut microbiome. So that I think the name of that study is called Twins UK Fiber Microbiome. So I'll leave that in the show notes if you want to look further into that. And so when we start talking about the the gut microbiome, you may notice that this is something that feels newer that you hadn't heard before. I know when I was in school for nutrition, it was not, I didn't even learn anything about it. And so scientists as far back as, I think they've actually done research into the GI tract, like in in the 1800s, but back in like 2005, scientists worldwide started to feel like there was probably a link between gut microbiome and inflammation and different disease risk of different, in different individuals. And so they knew that they were studying, they were studying that disease risk and it's And its effect, or just kind of like what the gut microbiome and then disease looked like in animals, and they knew that they started they needed to start doing it in humans too. So in the U.S., they started to really test the impact between gut microbiome and its relationship to health and diseases in about 2007. So prior to that, little was known about that connection between your gut and the diseases that people would get, especially chronic diseases. And so why it ended up coming to fruition was that the Human Genome Project, which had studied the DNA sequences, they were now able to use that information extracted from that project to start studying the sequences of the GI tract. And so I think worldwide, the goal was to really look and see like in different parts of the world, what what people's GI tracts look like because different microbiome may be in different places. And kind of trying to see, like, why did that happen? And then it evolved over time into really looking at, like, on an individual level, where we live, what we eat as an individual, and how that impacts our risk of diseases in in kind of like in combination with our gut microbiome. And so, again, a lot of this these studies are in its infancy. But the goal really was to have a better and more diversified GI tract or gut microbiome so that you have less risk of disease. And so when they started studying this, they started to realize that there were some factors that influenced gut microbiome and there was a genetic component of it. And again, you can refer to that twin study in the UK if you have further questions about that. Again, it's in the show notes. Environment is a really big one. So in that book that we talked about, The Good Gut by by the Sonnenbergs, they basically talk about some of this and they really start to explore some of these environmental impacts. So these include things like if you had a C-section versus having a child born in the birth canal, that there was more like vaginal like bacteria there that would help the infant. If you were, if the child or you were breastfed or formula fed, the, the number of pets in your home, if you smoke or were exposed to alcohol, um, your antibiotic use, medications used, just all of those kind of things in your environment. If you live in, on a farm versus if you lived in an urban area, what like different, what different things you're exposed to in your youth in terms of like dirt and toxins, as opposed to not being exposed to that. And then diet, we know that diet probably play, diet does play a big impact on on your gut microbiome. So really kind of figuring out like and trying to figure out what the composition of food looks like for people, how processed it was, how much fiber they ate, how much nutrition was in the, that food. So what they started to really ask in these studies was what is the role of the gut microbiome in terms of health and disease? So what they're starting, again, the goal here is to have like a very diverse and varied healthy GI tract to prevent disease. But what they started seeing that there was this dysbiosis. So there was this, there was like this GI tract that wasn't probably as healthy as they wanted it to be. And what they found is, is that as the gut microbiome was less diverse and had less amount of species in the GI tract, that there was an increase in some diseases, including diseases like diabetes and cardiovascular disease. They think there is a link between food allergies, which is something that I'm really interested in as a food allergy mama myself. I believe that there's probably some kind of link there, especially since food allergies are up like astronomical amounts than they ever were before. There is a link between obesity, that there, obesity is so complex, as we've talked about a lot on this podcast, that they think that the more processed the food is, the less diverse, the less diversity of species in your GI tract. And they think that some of that also contributes to like hunger and cravings, but they don't really know the specifics of it. They think that there's a link between like different GI diseases like IBS and IBD. And they know that there is this gut brain access so that the gut and the brain, so your gut microbiome and your brain, they talk via these neurons. So they think that there's some kind of impact on brain health, like a negative impact on brain health when there isn't enough species or enough diversity in your gut microbiome. And then the big thing here is, inflammation. So they know that there is this link to diseases that cause inflammation when you don't have a GI tract that is have a lot of diversity and doesn't have a lot of species in there. And so this is leading to a lot of research that's currently underway. Now, again, when we talk about nutrition on this podcast, we're recording this, it's April of 2023. I suspect that this podcast is going to be outdated as more and more research comes out, especially since there are so many studies underway in the US and worldwide when it comes to the gut microbiome that it's it's like an ever evolving science. Nutrition is always an ever evolving science. But I suspect that especially for this topic, it's going to just continue to evolve and which I think is really exciting. So what they think that there's some causes or what are some things that causes. So when we talk about about gut dysbiosis or this lack of diversity in your gut microbiome, why is that important? Well, they think there's a lot of things that are within our control that we can help get to a place that we can populate our gut the way that our gut wants to be and thrives and helps prevent diseases. So some of the things that cause this lack of diversity would be chronic use of antibiotics or antibiotic use uh, at all. I know, like, even for my son, the emphasis on antibiotics is a lot less than it was when I was younger. Because with antibiotics, you know, you're going to be cleaning out your good and your bad bacteria. And you, and so I think there's always a push um, in the medical field to start to decrease the amount of antibiotics that kids are getting. We know that processed foods have these emulsifiers in them that decrease gut diversity. And we know that sugar and sugar substitutes also do the same thing. They reduce the amount of diversity that you have in your GI tract. And then one of the other things here is lack of fiber. And we know that fiber helps fuel the microbiome and helps keep it diversified. And so in U.S. and industrialized nations, fiber is a really big thing because we're not getting as much fiber. Most people aren't getting as much fiber as they need. And so this lack of fiber becomes important in terms of the less fiber you have, the less diversity that you're going to have in your gut microbiome. And so when we talk about the gut microbiome, first of all, before we really kind of get into this, I just want you to kind of know that like where we're going with this is that there's this general understanding that if you're able to change your, your, your gut microbiome in terms of increasing diversity in your gut microbiome, then you may be able to change the disease state that you may be at risk for if your gut microbiome wasn't that great. As we talk about this, which I think is really interesting is that there there is this shift on that nutrition is this really complex individual, and it's very personalized and individualized for you. And so I think you're really going to be starting to see more of this like personalized nutrition in terms of. I'm sure this is kind of where this research is going to go with your gut microbiome. I'm sure at some point they're going to be able to like, you'll send your stool sample in, they'll say, okay, you need this, you need this bacteria, they'll send you something in whatever form, you'll consume it. And then hopefully that will repopulate or kind of help recolonize your GI tract in the bacteria that your specific GI tract needs. It's just really interesting because I feel like where it's kind of starting right now is with the continuous glucose monitoring. And so once you're able to see like how foods contribute to your increased blood sugar It it seems like that could be something that they could also do in terms of your gut microbiome, in terms of sending it out, being able to get something back that would help you figure out how to populate it in a way that would help you specifically. So all of this in terms of like nutrition is heading to a place that it's more personalized for you based on what your genetic makeup is, what your environment has been and what you're, the foods that you're eating and consuming. And one of the other things I wanted to point out is that when we talk about all of this, we're talking about it not in terms of calories. I think so much of our health when we try to figure out our health and our risk of disease is focused on our weight is focused on on calories, but we never really look at the diversity of the diet. and I think that's kind of where it's going to go is that it's going to be looking at the composition of the foods that you eat in a place that you can really help prevent disease. And by doing that, I think it will also help, in terms of like regulating hunger cravings and things like that. So I just wanted to kind of point that out that I think that this is kind of where we're heading, hopefully is away from calories, away from BMI, more on behaviors, more on the the nutrient composition of the foods that we're eating and how it can help our gut microbiome. Okay, so now we're going to really just kind of dig in a little bit more of like, what are some ways that if you feel like you're at risk for any of these diseases, or if you feel like, oh gosh, I eat processed foods more, or I don't eat that much fiber. What are ways that you can do right now to improve the diversity of your GI tract and hopefully improve the diversity, the amount of species, the, the species going exactly where you want them to go. And then also by default, then decreasing your risk of chronic diseases. Well, first... First, the recommendations are to use antibiotics only as needed. We know that antibiotics will kill both the good and bad bacteria. So, I mean, I think there's a shift in medical doctors anyway from when I was little to my son now. In terms of antibiotic prescription and usage, it seems like it's not really as much. So I'm guessing some of that is related to this topic of the gut microbiome. One of the key ways to really help with that gut microbiome is have as much diversity in the foods that you eat as possible so foods that are really going to help with your creating diversity in your gi tract are going to be these polyphenols and i'm going to give you some of them here but you can also go into your search engine and look up like poly foods rich in polyphenols because there's so many of them and i'm not going to cover them all but Polyphenols essentially act like antioxidants, where or they may even be antioxidants, but typically they're plant-based foods and you need polyphenols in order to grow really healthy bacteria in your body. And what they do is they're really helpful in the sense that they're gonna go in and like take out all the bad stuff and kind of really help get to a place that they're able to grow the healthy bacteria, which is what you want. So when we talk about polyphenols, they come in different categories. First is your veggies you're going to get them. And again, it's so many foods. I just kind of broke down some of the more popular ones. In In your veggies, you're going to be spinach and onions and carrots and asparagus and garlic and broccoli. In your fruit, fruit in terms of berries is always something that is like so beneficial in terms of antioxidant and polyphenols. So we know that any berries that you're eating, try to eat as varied as you can. Raspberries, blueberries, blackberries, grapes, cherries, pears, plums, peaches, having some kind of diversity in terms of your veggies and fruit. Also mix nuts, seeds and beans. So your nuts like your almonds and your walnuts, your your seeds that you're going to have, whether your chia flax pumpkin, whether you do your beans like your tempeh, your tofu, your soy, your black beans, any beans that you're going to consume your lentils. It's also your polyphenols are going to be in herbs and spices. So cinnamon, ginger, oregano, cumin, turmeric, thyme, parsley, and then also in drinks like your coffee, your green and black tea, your red wine. And then also you will find polyphenols in dark chocolate. The Mediterranean diet is something that I feel like always gets the number one diet. And I hate the word diet, but it's like the composition of the food. But the Mediterranean diet probably mimics the best way to increase diversity in your GI tract because it tends to be more plant-based and it's high in polyphenols. So that's kind of the recommendation in terms of increasing your um, polyphenol use. Other ways that you can increase diversity of your GI tract and it's probably something that you've heard about, is increasing your intake of fermented foods. So I don't remember ever eating kefir or kombucha back in when I was growing up, but that's kind of where this is taking us. So eating things that are fermented, like yogurt or kefir or kombucha or sauerkraut, things like that, they know that these fermented foods also help grow healthy bacteria. So that's another way that you can create some diversity. Another thing is increasing the fiber that you eat on an everyday basis. So we know that in the U.S. our fiber recommendation is a goal of like 25 grams of fiber per day. And fiber is really important in terms of creating diversity in your, in your gut. But most people in the U.S. and industrialized countries don't eat the 25 grams of fiber per day. They're probably having a hard time even getting to like 15 grams of fiber per day. So what they started to figure out was that when they started studying, you know, they're they're doing when they're doing a lot of these studies, they're doing industrialized nations, they're doing, you know, and they're also studying indigenous populations. And what they found is that in in those indigenous cultures, those people eat way more um, fiber. So in the US, we're struggling to get 25 grams a day. Indigenous people are eating greater than 100 grams a day. They're eating high-fiber, plant-based foods, and they don't have the same incidence of diseases that we have, essentially. So there is a link here with my diet rich in fiber, and so that's something that's going to help too. And another big one is decreasing any of your processed foods. So they know that with processed foods, scientists are working really hard because it's their job to make the food taste good, to make it as cheap as possible. But in doing that they use different things like emulsifiers that really take away the nutrient composition and therefore the the um, diversity. So you're going if you're eating a lot of processed foods, you're not able to get that gut diversity and it's actually probably hurting your gut diversity. And so decreasing the amount of processed foods that you're eating is is really helpful too, to create more diversity because remember, in all of this when it comes to your gut microbiome, the key here is to create create as much diversity as you can in terms of what species of bacteria is living in your gut and then also like you want the composition of the healthy bacteria that's really going to help you and it's hard because we don't really know what what like we don't know what each person's microbiome looks like and so we know that you want to have the goal of having a diverse microbiome, but everybody has a different gut microbiome, so it's really individualized to you. And so if you're somebody who wants to really like figure out what does your gut microbiome look like, well, you can send your poop to, if you live in the States, the American Gut Project, that is in the show notes. And if you live in the, the UK, there's a British Gut Project. I think in the US, it's 99 bucks. And what they basically do is I think they use like your information to really like they just want as many participants as possible so that they can really see see like how countries differ in terms of the nutrient composition and what gut bacteria looks like I think when I was watching doctors or Dr. Spector's he had done like a like he had done a presentation he was saying that like the UK's had really bad gut diversity but the US beat it because we were even worse and so it's just interesting so I think it's I just think it's interesting. So if you're somebody who wants to do that, you know, you can use your gut microbiome, you can contribute to those studies. And I guess they would send you something back about what your gut microbiome looks like. But I don't know if they're there yet in terms of personalizing how you could improve it. Like, I don't know that they have anything once you get those results back. Maybe you could just see that it's not diverse enough and you could start eating foods. But I think we're pretty far away from having like an actual like, something made especially for you, for your gut microbiome, I think we're too early in its infancy and studies. So you might not get that exact information, but perhaps knowing that maybe your gut microbiome isn't as diverse would be helpful to you, especially if you think that you're at risk for diabetes or cardiovascular disease, or if you're struggling with some kind of inflammation that would help you. So again, just kind of knowing that like all of this research is in its infancy. And so I think the best way to approach it at this point in time is by the foods that you're eating. Now, also there is probiotics that people are using that can help repopulate your GI tract. I'm very wary of probiotics. I think I've stated that before. I think that, I think that probiotics are just tough because there's like no regulation. Nobody regulates any of those products. So you don't even know if, If it's saying that you're getting these different strains, if you're actually getting that in the probiotic, or if if they're just charging you lots of money and then you don't even, you know, it's not even matching what's in the label. And I think it's really hard to know, like, what it's doing to your actual GI tract. So, I think it's hard to know, like, are you, do you need that bacteria or is your GI tract again? Because it's unique and individualized to you. Do you not need the bacteria that is in that probiotic? Or would you need that somewhere else? Like you just don't know, I guess, like where it's populating and and what it is, what microorganism you're getting in terms of your probiotic. And then if that's the exact microorganism that you need for your GI tract, again, since it's so personalized. So some of the scientists were kind of saying that like, if you really wanted to use a probiotic, that you would look for like, whatever your particular disease state is, or whatever your problem is, and then you would look for studies of what specific strain helped those individuals that were in that study. And then you look for that particular strain of a probiotic. So kind of just knowing it's not like a one size fits all because everybody's gut microbiome is different. So I think that's kind of what happens with these probiotics. I think there are a lot of money and you don't really know if it's what you in fact need. And so I think that's why they kind of say, just look for a studies with your disease state, what exact strain is in that probiotic. And then using it to see if it works for you and kind of really sticking with a brand that you trust and that you feel like is going to go that extra step and actually having their probiotic tested to know that what they say is in the probiotic is actually in the probiotic. So now you're like thinking like, oh shit, my probiot- my gut microbiome is so important. What do I do? What do I do? All right. So really, I think it really just depends like, let's just kind of get started, right? I'm like a whole like, in terms of making behavior change, I'm on the whole like, you kind of start things and do things in moderation. So I think it's just trying to figure out where you are right now. So again, quoting some of these scientists, Tim Spector, in his book really talks about eating fermented foods each day. And what he talks about And I've talked to one of my dietitian friends about this because I think it's really interesting and and I think it could even be doable, was eating 30 different plants per week. By the way, this whole like topic of gut microbiome is because my friend had been watching all of these videos and then her and I started talking about it. We're like nerding out. So it's really on her that we're talking about this today. So if you're like, what the, why are we talking about this topic? It's because of her. So he basically talks about eating about 30 plants per week. And that's a way that you can improve your your the diversity of your gut microbiome. So when he's talking about 30 plants per week, he's talking about like plants and herbs and spices and fruits and veggies. And he's talking about all of those things that we talked about in the polyphenols. So again, that would be like your spinach and your berries and drinking coffee and drinking and eating dark chocolate and doing cinnamon and ginger and just things like that. I think that might be a little bit more doable than it actually seems sounds but again I'm somebody who I like to kind of I kind of like to do so it depends on where you're at if you're already in a place where you're eating a lot of like plant-based foods and a lot of veggies and fruit and nuts and seeds perhaps that's going to be more doable for you but if you're in a place that maybe you're not really eating 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 as much fiber as you really need to say you're somebody who's eating less than there's 25 grams of fiber I would say to just kind of really start slow And to just make that a goal that every day you, you know, start to make fiber a priority. The big thing I say on here is to just kind of start small, get that behavior going, and then kind of build onto it. And so, and I think this is what's really interesting about the researchers, the Sonnenbergs with their book, The Good Gut. They really take like a flexible approach, which is kind of more in line with what I kind of take. In this idea of like that, you just kind of start slowly and then just add more and more of these foods that can help populate your gut over time. So basically, the first thing would be to increase your fiber intake. So again, if you're not consuming 25 grams of fiber a day, try to see where you're at and then slowly add more and more fiber into your diet each day, each week. With fiber, it's really important that you don't increase your fiber intake too fast. So if you're somebody who is at 15 grams of fiber, you're trying to get to 25, you don't want to increase it too fast, your fiber intake, because you're going to get a lot of GI distress and you're going to get a lot of gas and bloat. And that's going to happen anyway, as you start to change your microbiome. So what I would say is really just kind of make that like a bigger picture plan. Like, okay, I'm going to start to eat more. You know, maybe it's even like each week you implement one different food, try to make it a way that is really doable for you, because none of this is meant to be like overwhelming. This whole goal of this podcast is just to provide you with more information to help you make the, the best decision for your life. And so again, if you think you can add one thing in that's different this week than you did last week, then perhaps you start there. Start where you're at and just slowly start to incorporate more fiber with the goal of getting to at least 25 grams of fiber, but having as much diversity as you can in what you're eating. Because again, you don't want to add like these rules into your food because you don't want it to feel like it's so overwhelming. And I feel like so much of when we're talking about food and and ways to improve our health. It's always based on all these rules. So it's just kind of thinking about this and like wellness and helping your GI tract and so that you feel better and you decrease your risk of disease, especially if you feel like you're suffering from something and you don't feel that great, then it's a way to kind of go from that approach too other thing I would say to do would be to start eating less processed foods too. So we know that with processed foods, there's going to be less fiber, there's going to be more emulsifiers in it, and all of those things together are going to disrupt your GI tract and lead you with less diversity. So what I would say is to also start slowly in that, right? So try to like figure out like, okay, how much processed food do I eat baseline? And then how can I decrease it? And it doesn't have to be anything extreme. It could just be one thing that you do per day, per week, whatever it looks like for you. And I would just encourage you to just start slowly because all of these changes, they just happen over time. It doesn't have to be something that has to be done all today or all tomorrow, or all within a year. It's going to be, all of this is a lifestyle change. So it's not meant to be quick it's really meant to be like trial and error try I mean I know for myself when I'm trying different things it takes me months if not years to figure out something that works for me and so perhaps you're the same way so you don't need to be in a rush maybe you want to try some products maybe you're like hey I'm going to try kefir or kefir it's very sour it, you'll be like looking up a million different recipes to see what you like and it takes time. So there are the two things that I would say would be to increase your fiber intake, decrease your risk of processed foods and to start working on that or make that a little bit more of a priority so that you can really get to a place that that you're able to create a little bit more diversity in your gut microbiome and then hopefully as there's more and more research you'll see that it's helping you decrease your risk of different diseases hopefully it helps with for you it helps with inflammation if you are somebody who has diabetes hopefully it helps with that your cardiovascular disease risk also more fiber has been associated with helping with hunger and cravings and by doing all these things you essentially you end up the more fiber you're eating, you're probably eating more plant-based foods. So in general, it will probably become for you more of a lifestyle if you're able to just start incorporating it slowly so that if you look back in a year or two years or three years, maybe you're kind of eating a little bit more fiber and less processed foods than you might be right now. So if you're somebody who makes any of these changes, let me know. Email me at info at and let me know how you, how you do And we'll keep kind of talking about it because, again, I think there's going to be more and more research that comes out. And I think that you're going to be just as interested in it as I am because it sounds like it's something that can be so doable for, like, a big result in the end in terms of feeling better and decreasing your risk of diseases. And also it allows you to not worry about weight and counting calories because it, it, it just kind of transfers that into the bigger picture because you can weigh, you can be like your ideal body weight, but if you don't have a good gut microbiome, it doesn't matter because you're still going to be at risk for the same diseases. So let's focus on the behaviors here, because I think that's, what's going to get you to where you want to be in terms of your health in the long term. So I thank you so much for listening. And again, if you want to grab that freebie that I mentioned at the beginning, you can find it in the show notes. It's five simple things you can do today to keep yourself healthy for tomorrow. So I will see you guys back here next week. Thank you so much for listening. Talk soon. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you found value in this podcast, please rate, review, or subscribe on Apple Podcast or Spotify. Don't forget to share this episode with your friends. Together, we can take tiny imperfect steps towards creating the whole health we desire and deserve. Don't forget to grab your freebie. You can find the link in your show notes or over at trishard.com. I'll see you back here next week.